Pardon me, boy. Is this the Chattanooga choo choo? Track 29. Boy, you can give me a shine. Hello and welcome to the special off-topic episode of the Banished to the Pen podcast. My name is Brandon Lee, and on this edition, Mikey Poli and Tyler Baber join me to discuss the movie Snowpiercer. What follows has very little to do with the game of baseball, but by the end of this episode, we do settle on a fairly interesting Snowpiercer to player comparison. Fair warning, there are spoilers ahead if you have not seen the movie, so be forewarned. Thanks for coming along for the ride. The Banished to the Pen podcast begins right now. When you hear the whistle blow an eight to the bar, then you know the Tennessee is not very far. Okay. Welcome to this special off-topic edition of the Banished to the Pen podcast. Today we are discussing the movie Snowpiercer. Uh, Snowpiercer, the movie which was mentioned by uh, Sam and Ben on the uh, Effectively Wild podcast multiple times, and uh, you know it it took off in the Facebook group, kind of, as much as an in-joke movie can take off. And, uh, you know, some of us watched it, and we want to talk about it. So uh, I'm joined today by Mikey Poli and Tyler Baber. Mikey and Tyler, hello. Hi. Hi. Awesome. Uh, Mikey, <laughs> Mikey and Tyler, uh, let's see. So, so this movie, so this movie, Snowpiercer. Mikey, uh, I'll throw it over to you. Can you give us maybe a three... Uh, three tweet length synopsis <laughs> of the movie Snowpiercer. Three tweets? Okay. <clears throat> uh, it's basically um, the world is covered in snow and the only people alive on Earth are inside a train that keeps running throughout the entire world uh, perpetually for until the end of time potentially and um it's the the train compartments are set up like a class system where you have rich people in the front and the poor people in the back and basically the plot of the movie is the poor people uh deciding that they want to revolt against the rest of the train compartments and get to the head of the train and um liberate themselves and the train from the evil uh powers that be the evil powers that be. All right, yeah, that's that. That's the movie. That's a movie in a nutshell. Um, Tyler, did is this a is Snowpiercer a movie that you would have seen without it being mentioned on our favorite baseball podcast, Effectively Wild? Uh, yes, one hundred percent. This was to- this movie is totally <laughs> on my radar. Um, but I can understand that that's not necessarily common. Um. A couple things that I'll note, though, I've got in front of me. Uh, this was mentioned in episodes 496, 570, and 571. Um, <laughs> the movie so, was mentioned. The movie was mentioned. Yes, the movie episodes. was mentioned. Okay. The movie Snowpiercer was mentioned in those episodes. Um, and probably others, who knows? Um, I'm looking at notes that uh, have been sent around. So anyway, um, the other thing I would mention is, I don't know about you guys, but I 100% plan on talking spoilers so if anyone hasn't seen it um i don't care if it's spoiled for you personally <laughs> but maybe you care and um and do with that information what you will yes that, um yes absolutely absolutely spoiler alert here yes 
Yeah, and also it's like freely available on every streaming service, so you've got no good yeah. excuse. Yeah. Um, like, there's mostly day games on Mondays and Thursdays, so you've got the, those nights you can watch uh, Snowpiercer during the baseball season. Absolutely. Every listener. Absolutely. Um, okay. So your question was, would I have watched this without Ben and Sam's um, uh, endorsement? And yes, I totally um, would have. I'm. Um, I guess I'm follow along pretty closely with media and uh, and film when I'm not listening to baseball podcasts. I'm mostly listening to culture podcasts. Mm. And um, this was a this was kind of a big story in the the movie world last year, uh, mm. just because of the way that the movie was distributed and um, the back and forth between the director and the studio um, and, and the attention that it was getting at film festivals. Yeah. So, um, and also it stars Captain America in a very grimy, um, turned down role. So I think it's, um, you know, it's, definitely worth checking out and even if you are only into baseball um and otherwise have nothing in common with ben and sam um i think it's definitely a it's an interesting experience um and yeah that i totally would but what about you guys yeah well i mean i'll just throw it out there that i absolutely would not have watched this movie without the recommendation <laughs> of of ben and sam uh I, you know, I don't end up seeing many movies, uh, but, you know, there, there was enough talk about this one uh, that spilled over actually into the Facebook group that I thought, you know, at this point, I can't not watch it, especially if it's, if it's going to be mentioned. I have to understand what they're talking about. And I was, I was intrigued enough about it. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, yeah, it's on Netflix. Everyone, uh, if, if you're... You know, if you listen to the Effectively Wild podcast, you should listen to it. This this made the uh, it it made the Wild Four tournament. So of course you should yeah. you should watch it. Uh, Mikey, how about you? Yeah. Would you have ended up seeing this movie without uh, without it being mentioned on the podcast? Oh yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um, I saw it before it was. Actually. Oh okay. So so you yeah, actually so... understood them when they were talking about it the first time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, I'm like Tyler. I you know I sort of pay attention to these things and yeah the story around snowpiercer was that um the studio hated it so much and were sort of scared of it they sort of like dumped it in any way they could which i will see any movie that a movie studio hates you know like that's <laughs> usually if a movie studio hates a movie there's probably something pretty interesting about it so that was my whole thing yeah yeah okay yeah i, I yeah, and I saw it, and then I saw it again, like, two days later. Because <laughs> yeah. it was just so good. Awesome. Okay, so the first, the first thing I'm going to just ask about this movie, like, the world, the world is over, it's in an ice age, and the only thing that works is a train. Really? A train? Yeah, I'll field this one. Um... <laughs> Who gives a shit? I mean, that doesn't matter. That's like the the uh, my so one of the one of the little bits and pieces of this, and not just I think in Effectively Wild, but also in Grantland, because this was a big um, movie that Grantland was really pushing uh, last year. And I know a lot of Ben's work um, when he started there. Uh, he did a couple posts maybe about Snowpiercer, but I think you know there are people who watch movies and want to have. Um, 
not necessarily just like logical consistency in the world of the movie itself, but like um, be able to draw a line from the life that you are living and the world that you perceive yourself to the framework of the movie. And I don't think that, you know, this movie needs it. I think that the reason that it's a train here is um, probably no small part because it's a really easy narrative device mm. and mixed with uh, the implications of like Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged and all the class stuff around there. Mm-hmm. Although I haven't seen anybody write that, so I'm just going to totally throw that out there as my own theory. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, you know, the it's a train because um, that's what makes the story interesting. I guess it's also worth pointing out, though, that this... Uh, um, Snowpiercer, the movie, is based on a comic, or I guess graphic novel, mm-hmm. a French one from that started like in the 80s and went for like 20 years and was never even translated into English until like the last year or two. Um, uh, so um, whether or not like the, you know, the train um, drew some special appeal of the director here, mm-hmm. uh, Jun Ho Bong. The Korean director. Um, yes, the Korean director, Jun Ho Bong. This is his first... Um, I mean, it's, they say first English language movie, but it's really a, an international movie. Very, very international. And yeah, so right, uh, Korean director based on a French graphic novel um, and uh, written by the Korean director and co-written by uh, an American who had previously written uh, what the Sidney Lumet movie Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. So yeah, really like, you know, mixed cast, mixed all that stuff. So all that background, all to say... Like, you know, the train is basically just the device that pushes, like, literally pushes the narrative forward. Like, yeah, it's, there's not a lot of subtlety in this movie, um, not a ton of nuance. And it's, you know, um, I say that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I also think um, it's a, it's basically like a meant to be a cult classic. Like, it's, it's basically created to be. You know, the sort of movie that gets people talking, but small groups of people and the people who are going to talk about it, they're going to love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't actually know if any of, I don't, I don't think Mikey hates it. I don't know about you, Brandon. Oh, I, I, I happen to like it. I like the Great. movie a lot. And I, I mean, I throw, I throw that question out, you know, a train really, you know, like I throw yeah. it out, but. You know, I, I happen to really like trains, like not, huh. uh, like you know, as like as like a as 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 a as a mode of transportation, as a way of getting around, you know, and uh, you know, and the fact that of of all the modes of transportation, the the train is the one that you know survives the apocalypse, like that. Uh, right. You know. Yeah. That, well, and and I mean, to me. it, it's it's a. Uh, you know, you could go on the Reddit of Snowpiercer and see people who are dissecting that and finding all the reasons that this doesn't make any sense. And those people are joyless and sad. I don't know how those oh. people like live day to day. Like, how do you right. do anything? If, like, if like, how can you go to a movie and like just spend all your time just being like, <laughs> "What? Come on!" To like yeah. every single thing. <laughs> but I will. You know, I will. A sci-fi movie, which is bizarre. Right, yeah, and I will say, like, you know, this is a movie about a train, but it's not like it's not like if you enjoy the station ma- the station agent, you should see Snowpiercer. Um, <laughs> it's 
it's really it's like more of a video game like i would compare it even if like just comparing it to anything i would compare it to a video game like it's they're basically moving car by car as if each car is its own level and it it's it's got a lot more narrative depth than most video games and there's probably people who are gonna argue with me about that but um (laughs) but there's yeah it's that's what i would say that it's like it's um very hero's journey but like linear as linear as it can be because you can only go straight forward like there's Mm -hmm. only one direction yeah there, there really is only yeah, one and, um, Yeah. If I could say just one more thing about the train, um, this might be something that we get to later, but if you accept that the central conceit of the movie is that, you know, the train is society, then, oh. I mean, the train, oh, the train <laughs> is like a perfect metaphor for that because you have people moving together who are separated in distinct and important ways. Yeah, absolutely. And at the and at the very head of the train, all the way at the front, there's Wilford, the the Ed you know, Harris, the <laughs> the, yes. the evil mastermind of the of the the train, right? And so, what what can you say about this guy? Well, I want I want Micah to answer that, but I do want to say, for those of you who haven't seen it and are getting this spoiled. One of the most fun parts of this movie to me was not knowing whether or not Wilford existed oh. when I was watching yeah. it because they yeah. don't they don't bring any attention to him. You don't know that he's. I mean, he's a he's a huge part of the world, but you don't know if he's a real person, if he's alive or dead. Right. Like that's a that's kind of a big reveal. And here you um, have, and you have these children who are like singing songs to him, and he's revered. Yeah. And oh, he's and revered yeah. like a like a you know like a you know a a head of state in in right. some you know yeah. cult, cultish or a, a militaristic country yeah, you know it, there's a lot of wilford propaganda yes but yeah mikey take it away oh, okay. how much of an evil mastermind <laughs> well um i think sort of the whole reveal of wilfred um is interesting in that they cast ed harris who is a great actor but just like not a overpowering screen presence or not he doesn't have a look or anything that's just super like oh my gosh you know it's ed harris like (laughs) ed harris is a good actor and he plays like cops and you know fbi agents and you know stuff like that and so i think there's a very important idea of sort of a wizard of oz thing happening you know where you look behind the curtain and it's just some dude hanging out there and this dude just happened to have all this power accumulated and all that stuff, but he's still just like, you know, a dude. And I feel like that's really cool because when you open, when they open the gate to his little, you know, room there, you're like basically expecting literally anything but Ed Harris, you know? (laughs) And, and when you talk about like the, the power that he holds over the train, well, one, everybody basically worships him because he kind of, because, you know, it's, it's, his train is the reason why everybody who is still alive is still alive, right? Because they're all on the train. Um, and, uh, you know, but but apparently beyond that, he also has this power to, like, you know, s- kind of low-key start revolts and kill people to, like, balance the population on the train. So, like, he's, he's kind of... You know, uh, he kind of is playing a video game up there in the in the front, right? Like, right. Like managing the the you know the the different populations on his train. 
So, right, so the closest um, comp to Ed Harris uh, in Snowpiercer might be Ed Harris in The Truman Show, where he's, like, literally being God. Um, but I, I think the other big reveal um, that, that Wilford shares is, um, you know, it's not just him up there who's doing this. Like, uh, John Hurt's character, Gilliam, uh, is, right, is in cahoots with them. Um, which that was like, that was the twist that like really drove it into me. Like, oh man, really? Um, like the end, the last act of this movie is just like, it's basically like one emotional devastation after another, um, in terms of like (laughs) things being revealed and backstory and, um, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of talking after, after tons and tons of action and movement and then like everything they say is like oh my god no oh no um so it's it's great but yeah he's designed this designed this world kind of by accident right because you got to assume he built this train um not thinking that the world was going to end that wasn't the purpose of the train when he built it and there was some sort of divine um benevolence that was letting everyone onto the train even though there wasn't enough um you know, enough to sustain a society. Uh, so he kind of had to basically run like a middle school science experiment ant farm kind of with humans. And uh, th- yeah, definitely I can see there will be grad students writing papers of like all of whether he's good or bad or, or indifferent. Um, like, cause he's a Wilford's, not like the so okay so so Tilda Swinton's character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think can we all agree that she's maybe the best part of this movie? She was. Yeah, she's up there. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Is, yeah, um, like any isolated character. You know? Yeah. Um, but like she, she's the one who's sort of the, uh, the mouthpiece right, who's like right, right. talking Wilford up. And um, you know, based on that, and based on the scene with the school, which I assume we'll talk about, mm-hmm. um, like you kind of assume that Wilford's going to be this, like, either like uh, the guy in the Matrix who who knows everything about Neo, or the guy like you know, some some sort of computer like figure, but like he's like in a bathrobe, just kind of hanging out. Um, he's he knows a ton, and he is he does have that sort of Wizard of Oz thing, but like you don't get the sense that this is. A guy who's plainly bad he definitely um is more complicated and i think the end of the movie basically is just that everyone is more complicated whether they're bottom back of the train or front of the train like everybody is is very nuanced and very complicated right and if you interpret um the film to be somewhat Marxist like I do then you know you say like oh Wilfred you know he's just this you know quiet reserved guy who you know um, has these things that he believes and there are other people out there being you know the voice and sort of hatchet of him which is which fits into what you know we sort of know about these people who you know sort of run the country in, you know, legal or less legal ways where, you know, they're not the ones out there talking about, you know, things or laying down the law. They sit on the sidelines and let other people do that for them. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And that trickles down not just to, like, so 
there there's of course the you know the the mouthpiece who uh uh you know Tilda Swinton's character who who uh who you know is the one bringing the message from the front of the car but uh you know that that moves down to even the youngest people on the train or at least the youngest people in the front parts of the train i can't imagine the the kids in the back of the train were getting the same uh type of education there um but you know there's this there's this very kind of disturbing scene where uh, Allison Pill is is teaching a, a classroom of of uh, of children, yeah, presumably from the front of the train, about like the history of Wilford um, and the history of the train. Um, you know, can you just talk a little bit about that scene and what you thought of it the first time you heard it? Because or the first time you saw it? Because I'll just say that the first time I had heard about it at all was when Sam was talking about it on the podcast, and I had no idea what was going on. But that <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but that so, Mikey, you had a pure viewing and un- an unvarnished viewing. Oh yeah, okay. Um, well, it's still for me. It was still unnerving just because, like, you know, it's preceded by like a lot of bloody fight stuff mm. so you're just like oh, okay it's the school and everything you know like a nice little school like obviously i doubt this is gonna stay nice for long but um you know it was still the the sort of twist in that scene still comes in a fairly shocking way and yeah it's just so unnerving because um allison pill is just sort of a very scary woman when she wants to be which i mean in like the best possible way you know but she can just like flare out her eyeballs and just seem like totally, you know, <laughs> right. Which is a really good quality for an actress. But yeah, it's <laughs> like you get that there's something spooky going on from you know the get go. I think. And on Egg Day, how could they do it? How could they, you know, have this yeah, right. on Egg Day of all days? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and this, uh, I, yeah, the egg, the egg thing. There's. Um, there's a lot going on with food in this movie, which I don't think I've thought about until this. Well, yeah, but, there's yeah, a lot there's, going on. We'll, there's, we can come back to that. <laughs> all right. <for> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will say the, um, so the, the effectively wild question that Sam poses, right, is like, okay, so everyone, the, the back of the car people make it through their bloody ordeal, make it to the school car. Um, the kids are finding out about Egg Day, sing a song about Wilfred, do a sort of Gestapo youth camp thing, um, and uh, then the egg, the the violinist who you saw in the early, the beginning of the movie comes yes, who, out and who plays. Gets, who gets plucked up from the back of yeah. the car. He was originally right. in the back and then got pulled up to the front. Yeah. His string breaks in like the most like uh, B-movie, something's about to go down like metaphor imaginable. And then there's a giant massacre, um, and it's, yeah, it's a huge thing. People are being shot everywhere, and the kids, nobody knows. And so I think the theory that Ben and Sam posited was basically that, like, well, maybe that was, the, that was where the line was drawn, that, like, you just can't show the kids being massacred. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you got to, like, so it's the back of the car people who are going to go shoot the kids, I guess, right? So mm-hmm. what do you guys think? What happened to the kids? Well, wasn't there wasn't there the the uh, the idea that they would have escaped to safety to somewhere? Um, yeah, isn't there um, isn't there a shot of them funneling out of the back? I might be imagining that. Yeah, I might have been imagining that too. Because I, I I will say that I was kind of on the lookout for it, but even afterwards, I, it wasn't con- necessarily conclusive to me. 
Yeah, right. And I and I will say that um, while it's very likely that everyone on the train ends up dying mm-hmm. at some point, mm-hmm. um, because we're all mortal, and also if you're on a train and that train derails, that helps it's speed things along. At the end of the um, world, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the um, the the back of the car people do move through most of the front cars without any violence at all. That's true. Like they once they of... get past a certain point, they're, they're, they're clearly not interested in like completely dismantling the social structure. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going with a goal. So like once they get to a point that the bourgeoisie are ignoring them, they kind of just make their way through. So I assume they probably did not shoot all the kids execution style. Yeah. Right. I don't think it's like a, you know, we have to like, you know, no witnesses thing for them yeah right right but you know they at some point people did almost stop caring right that there are these these people from the back of the car or from the back of the train and and i'll be honest who even who from the front of the car would the front of the car people have even known that there were people in the back of the car or would that have been yeah maybe who knows right who knows what they know there have been multiple uh, revolutions right so One assumes they knew something about this. I, w- I would assume they definitely did not know what Wilford was, what Wilford's plan was, mm-hmm. as sort of population control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but did, yeah. they, did they mention in the movie like how far those previous revelations, uh, you know, how far? There's some. There's got? some point they get to, and I don't know what it is where they say yeah. that that's the farthest all, anyone's gotten. Isn't it like all the uh, all the food cars and stuff with like the, the sushi you car? Know, yeah. Oh, the sushi car. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's before they get to like the you know front of the front front of the train people. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So food, so food is a thing, um, you know, because in the front, because in the front cars they all have you know really great food, and you know the aquarium car and the sushi car, which is you know weird to see. But then the people, the people in the back of the cars. Um, or the the cars furthest to the back, they get these. Do they call them protein logs, or they are <laughs> yeah, protein. Like that. They are protein logs, but they just call them protein. They don't call them, you know, anything other than that. And I suppose you know that's all you have to eat for, you know, twenty years. Yeah, it's like that, black jello. Anyone off? It's like black jello, and there's a real um, like uh, what like Sam Raimi moment when they revo- reveal how it's being made. Oh like, God, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the, I guess going along with the food. There's a lot of um, contrast in that sort of stuff, but there's also a lot of contrast in tone. One of the criticisms that I've I've heard about this movie is that basically the special effects um, aren't aren't able to pull off what uh, you know what the director's trying to do, and they're kind of subpar in places. And I'll gi- I'll give that there are definitely some parts that are like, all right, this is clearly CGI. Um, it kind of takes you out of the moment. But then there's parts like when they reveal what's in the protein, and that's you know that's supposed to be this big dramatic thing. It definitely does snap you out of the movie. It, it looks a little silly and uh, gross, but also you know it's not like um, it's it's something that I think is intentional. I think it's meant to like you know display a sp- very specific tone. Um, one of the things that. Uh, that I think is really one of the most successful parts of this movie, and the thing I enjoy a lot is that even though uh, you know it's it's very much uh, 
you know, linear narrative action, like the tone shifts wildly and abruptly. Mm-hmm. Every car is its own unique ecosystem. Like the people from the back of the car look grimy and and grizzled and angry the, the entire way through. But they just like it's the school car, the sushi car, like everything is its own unique little set piece, and um, they really don't fit together that well. And until you take them as a whole, and I think that's like, that's really interesting. It's a lot of fun. Um, it keeps you it keeps you watching. Mm-hmm. I know one of the studio's complaints about this movie was the running time, but I don't know how you cut any of those cars out. Like the you really put it all together, and it's great. I really wanted to see more of the cars that they didn't even show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, just the microcosm of that sort of idea is uh, the big fight scene between the back of the car people and the you know, militia with, where the militia just like pass around that catfish, you know? Yeah. And yeah. blood up their knives. <laughs> it's like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And it has like a touch of camp to it, which makes it like so much more grotesque and sort of frightening. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um let's let's skip to the end here because I, I want uh, uh, go past my thing, it's fine, I'm not I'm cool. Oh, uh, okay. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> original. Yeah. Um, well, well. Here, I mean, I still want to uh, kind of. I still kind of want to talk about this because I feel like maybe it could. This this convers this part of the conversation can go along. Could go on for a long time, I think. But at the but at the at the very end of the movie, the uh, you know they the 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 train derails and uh, two of the characters get get up and and leave the train actually I'll, I'll ask this question first is everybody on the train dead like Almost is de- definitely yeah yeah I, and I would, I mean, I would, so yeah and i would assume that we're supposed to think that at least you know so there, because we were supposed to think something different and there would be the inclusion of something that makes the thing different you right, know right so so at the end of the movie it's safe to say that there are there are two survivors right when the train yeah. derails there there are two survivors and they leave, they, they open the, the door for the first time in forever, in 26 years, right? Is that right? Is that how long it was? Um, and, you know, the world at this point has been warming up a little bit. And there's, and there's some life outside of the, uh, outside of the train. And uh, they, they leave the train, they look up, they see a polar bear, the polar bear roars at them, and then the movie ends. <laughs> what... What does this mean to you? Do is this like a sim a signal that uh, they're 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 goners? They're they have you know twelve hours to live and then they won't know what to do with themselves and then the human race will be done? Or it, you know are they or do they survive? Um, I can take this first. Um, just for me, I I don't really view that moment as threatening at all. Even though it's like a polar bear, I you know like the it, he, you know, roars, but it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be more like a, you know, like how a polar bear would roar in like an insurance company commercial, you know, <laughs> the insurance company's logo was a polar bear, right? It's just like strength, you know? Or like Coca-Cola like, or a Coca-Cola bear, right? Right. Yeah, right. sure. That's a little bit of a different tone for them, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it was just like, I'm a polar bear. <laughs> and for me, the ending sort of, sort of symbolizes... It sort of contrasts the um, 
you know, the sort of mechanized nature of their lives before on the train. And oftentimes in film and literature, mechanization is a bad thing and industrialization is a bad thing because it, you know, sort of, there's an implication that it separates humanity from itself and from each other. Um, so I interpret the ending as sort of a return to a, a sort of, you know, uh, 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 in interaction with nature, which is inherently more egalitarian and um, hopeful for everyone involved. And just on a, you know, less metaphorical level, a polar bear represents a tertiary predator, you know, who weighs a lot. So the implication is that there's available protein to, you know, feed tertiary predators who weigh a lot and are very big, like human beings. I gotta say, I did not think about that. Connection at all. Never gave that a second thought. Um, I I think I was wondering, do polar bears live in mountainous regions? Where are they that there's a polar bear in this mountain? Um, But, uh, yeah, I think that I I read the ending as hopeful. I think um, not just because of the train crash, but because everything that leads up to that is like basically everybody just getting the redemption that um, maybe not the one you thought they'd want, but... um, uh, shoot, uh, Curtis, um, played by Chris Evans, who I will I will go on record as saying I absolutely love. I think um, he's yeah. he's coming out strong compared to all the other Chris's who are in superhero movies right now. Um, but uh, yeah, his character, um, you know, basically seems troubled and and grim the entire movie, and just sort of is like in you know that stoic hero type. But then you sort of learn why um, and uh, and how he's not as strong as he felt like he was. He's given an opportunity to um, basically lead the train and see it continue on, um, makes a decision uh, that is in- incredibly symbolic, um, you know, big moment of personal sacrifice. Um, and then the two children, uh, the two um, yeah, the people who survive, the two survivors, come out. And, I, you know, to me, whether or not they see um, a polar bear or not, like, that is a decision that's being made in, to tell this story in a way that, like, here are two people who are going to survive. That's a very Adam and Eve type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is meant to be hopeful ending. But I will say, you know, if there's going to be a Snowpiercer 2, I can't imagine that it picks up any anywhere near this. Like, I don't think... This Snowpiercer 2 would be, let's learn more about what the world is like when it's really cold. We saw that movie, it's Day After Tomorrow, we don't need it again. <laughs> um, the, like the, the, hope, the hope in it and the redemption is not necessarily just in the, the polar bear moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I, think, I think to your point, uh, to your point Mikey, about, about the, you know, the fact that the, the polar bear is alive and therefore that's a source of protein... But I, I was kind of wondering, like, whether the the two survivors would even be able to put that polar bear in a situation where it could be used for that. By or even they... hunt and find a find a penguin and eat the penguin. Right. Like, I can't imagine them being very good right. at that. No, no, not like, like <laughs> there's, you know, there's things around that could help a polar bear survive. Oh, I see. You know, I, I see. Like, super level uh, human beings dietary requirements aren't you know 
absurdly different from a polar bear. Sure, okay, okay, I understand. Well, but do remember that the um, the girl, uh, whose name I completely forget, uh, um, apparently, yeah, yeah, she apparently has very um, narratively convenient ESP. Oh, so when she needs to know... Yeah, I'm true. glad you brought that up. <laughs> That's true, and a, yeah. and, and, a, and a horrible drug addiction, too. Yes, that's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mikey, do you have... Uh, do you, what, expound, expound on this. Oh, well, it's just... Yeah, it's the only aspect of the film that feels, like, really undercooked, where, you know, she has these moments of ESP, and, you know, you're like, whoa, what's this leading to? And it's just like, oh, she just had ESP these couple times, because that was helpful for people. That she yeah, had right. ESP. And yeah, because it's kind okay. of it's it's building towards like this implication that like, hey, kids born on this train, um, like are different. And there's like like you know, whether it's a next stage of evolution or like some survival skill, but like yeah, there's this implication in introducing that that like people are different if they're born on the train and they don't they don't do anything with it, which is um I'm sure there's some draft of the script that's probably like would run seven hours. Um and I would probably be interested in it um but uh yeah that is that is a weak spot yeah yeah maybe the one scene that the wine scene convinced him to cut was the one where her esp is off and and that scene uh that scene happened to be five hours long uh yeah right <laughs> and it, it showed this the the cars of the train were just like this is the just the bathroom car and this is the sleeping car <laughs> <laughs> it explained ESP and gave a true tour of the train. Yeah, right. I mean, this is a train that has an aquarium, a nightclub, um, a car dedicated to nothing. Like, there's there's like 3,000 people crammed in one car, and then there's another car right in front of it that's just a machine that grinds up cockroaches. Like, yeah, Wilfred may have been a master technician, but I've, he probably was not a very good interior decorator. Well, well here's... So, at the... So the thing about the back of the car, or the back of the train, is that there, you know, there's, um, uh, Tilda Swinton's character was giving the impression that they should be grateful that they were basically saved. So it's like they were an afterthought, almost, to... Right, uh, yeah, they basically just, like, the world, or, or just climbed on, the world. right? Yeah. Everyone else was, like, a lottery pick or something, but they just climbed on. So like so in that so in that respect it kind of does make sense that they're that they live in these awful conditions and they uh you know are fed you know the these uh you know really gross things from what is you know available in abundance I suppose um that they you know they're basically on there just to be alive and they should be grateful for it. Well I will say um and I think uh I'm sure uh, Mikey's Marxist critique of this would would put this maybe in even stronger words. But I'd say that, like you know, anyone who's walking away from this movie uh, buying that line mm. um, failed to watch the movie properly. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> like sure. The uh, the yeah. idea, I think, that's very very intentional to point out that, like, yes, there are incredibly um, convincing narratives that society tells about, like why uh poor people are poor right. and um how thankful they should be to be in the position that they're in at all because there's all these people who are less fortunate than them um you know the starving children in africa or the frozen people outside the train 
Um, but that's not like those are uh, excuses and and narratives told by the positions of power in order to um, get exactly what they want. Right. It's like the idea that, you know, um, you should be grateful that we're giving you food stamps, even though we passed this law that says you can basically only buy like bologna and, you know, (laughs) white bread. And if you try to buy anything else, we'll arrest you. But you should be grateful, you know, like, well, we'll arrest you. Yeah, yeah. We'll arrest you twice if you're on drugs, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's like you should be grateful for all the that like this socioeconomic system that we've all sort of agreed to says that you get just enough to scrape by. You know, like you should be so grateful that you're not dead already. Yeah. Which yeah, not helpful and is a distraction. Yeah, you should be grateful that you're not dead already. Now we're going to take your children. Like, yes, that's now a... Now we're um, going to take your children and you lose an arm. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Could have lost both. Could have lost both. Could have lost both. Or a leg, perhaps. I don't know. Any, yeah. yeah. Oh, go Tyler, ahead. go, go ahead. for it. Tyler, go. No, I was just going to... I was going to point out that I think, like, I can imagine that people who don't... The people who sit through this movie and, and don't get it there's going to be the like the strict literalists who really want to know more of the backstory behind why is this a train aren't con- aren't thrilled with it want to know maybe the chemical makeup of whatever gets released into the air to um to cause this global apocalypse um those people aren't going to enjoy it um and i think that uh, i don't think you have to be uh already politically uh inclined to re- to see this movie because one great thing about movies um, about uh, abuse of power is that whether or not you believe you know the society you live in is abusing power you can always agree there's someone out there abusing power mm-hmm. so you can all this is this is a movie by a Korean director um, it's you know produced a lot like a lot of French production cross international so you can you can read any of the various involved governments as being who's being railed against here mm-hmm. um, but I definitely think that it's a you know larger social picture. It's not meant to be. This is about you know what's going on in America in 2014, or this is about the Korea conflicts in North and South Korea. Um, I think it's playing all of that together, um, just sort of more globally. Um, but I will I will definitely say that like you know if if you take a strict like Ayn Rand view of the world you probably will view this movie as, you know, offensive to you in some way. And I think that's by design as well. Yeah, and it's not, um, this movie isn't like a, you know, Oliver Stone movie where you go see it and it's like two hours of somebody looking into the camera and, you know, telling you, isn't it terrible, these things? Like, if you want, you can totally shut off that side of your brain and just enjoy the people, you know, fighting each other and stuff blowing up (laughs) Uh if you want. You won't get like as full or as enriching an experience, but it's it's pretty good, I'd imagine, just watching it as like, yeah, look, these people are fighting and stuff, and it's cool, and you know, just like regular movie stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think um, heading into like when you were last year, looking at like planning for the summer, um, what big movies were coming out the summer. Snowpiercer was one of them. There were a bunch of other movies that, like, and I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, like mm-hmm. other movies um, that we might recommend. But 
there were a bunch of other movies that were like giant sci-fi blockbusters that were supposed to come out like the one um Jupiter Ascending was supposed to come out last summer that was mm-hmm. similar I guess in the sense that there was a lot of studio drama behind it but like you know on paper if you're trying to choose between do I want this um very defined like genre piece or this other one um, with a multi-million dollar international cast and crazy special effects. Like, you know, that coin flip, you're going to be entertained either way. I think at its heart, Snowpiercer worked because it's entertaining. Yeah. Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, Probably more entertaining than Jupiter Ascending, although that's not fair because I haven't seen it. <laughs> and neither have I. I heard, um, I heard there's a lot of, like, uh, Star Wars prequel, you know, stuff where you, like, watch Senator. Those are the best parts. Trade, Trade conflict. Stuff. Jedi Jedi politics I'm all about Jedi politics Um, Tyler you touched on this uh, uh, briefly a minute ago but what uh, you know are are there other movies that that people who enjoyed Snowpiercer should check out so okay I'm going to list a couple that probably more people have seen um, but then I've got one that I'm saving that I'm positive everyone has seen before Snowpiercer, but I want to draw the comparison. But I, I'll save that. I'm, I'm teasing it. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, I will say um, there's been a lot of, there've been a lot of lists coming out of, I pay a lot of attention to like best movies of the decade so far lists and things like that. Um, the AV Club just had the top hundred movies of the That's 2010 right. the through, or, yeah, and, I, and I so believe far, yeah. Snowpiercer wasn't on it. Um, which I think is entirely fair because it's been a really strong past several years for movies generally, but especially I think sci-fi, which is not a genre I follow that closely. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not a Ben Lindbergh uh, aspiring sci-fi writer. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think um, even last year, or the past couple years, I guess, Edge of Tomorrow, um, Godzilla, uh, I think those two, those are two end of the world, um, crazy sci-fi throwback B movies, which like I absolutely loved. I thought they were, they were great, um, visually appealing. I think, um, you know, for all the problems that, uh, Snowpiercer special effects may have had, I think Godzilla was like one of the most visually stunning movies I've seen in a, in a long, long time. Um, and Edge of Tomorrow is another one um, that's more like video game logic applied to movies. And I I don't know how many people saw it, but it was you know the blockbuster with Tom Cruise and um, directed by Paul Greengrass. And there's a, a really great movie or great article on the Dissolve, uh, which is another film website. And um, yeah, it's Pitchfork's I, film website. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Um, last the summer, Pitchfork sort of Dissolve. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, oh, I had like zero idea. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's yeah. I can. I'd. I'd love to talk yeah, about the set up, the creation of the dissolve because I find it very interesting, actually. But anyway, um, yeah. There's an ar- article um, by a writer there, basically talking about um, Snowpiercer and Edge of Tomorrow and uh, the um, Bioshock video games, which I haven't played. I'm not much of a video gamer either. Um, but basically like, you know, how have, how have we not effectively mixed movies and video games? They should go hand in hand pretty well. 
Um, and then talking that these three pieces are things that like, you know, okay, Bioshock does what it does very cinematically in a storytelling narrative way, but it's also um, directly involving the player in a way that only video games can do. Um, Snowpiercer, well, Edge of Tomorrow is just straight up pulling the main best thing about video games, which is you get do-overs, um, but doing it in a really interesting way. It's not just sci-fi Groundhog Day, um, although it is that, but it's it's really compelling. Um, and then Snowpiercer is, you know, different levels, progressively harder, um, moving in a straight line. like Towards the there's boss. A right, towards the boss, yeah. And there, it's very... Um, it's very much a video game, um, but you're watching it unfold in a way that's like way more fun than watching your friend play a video game or watching any movie created by about video games. So then, the other movie that I want to draw a direct comparison for Snowpiercer to is uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Like, and I'm talking about the original one, and I, I want to I want to just go there for a second, and then I'll hand it over to Mikey, which is like, so the original one is, it's an unbelievably class centric story. Um, you're going through like, un- absurd tonal shifts, like it, it's terrifying in some scenes and whimsical in others, and there's this like basically giant, terrible person calling all the shots. Who's you know who seems like a you know a, a benefactor, but is actually like a major villain. Willy Wonka does horrible, horrible things, mm-hmm. and um, and Charlie Buckets is like the the Curtis hero, um, but it's the child version where instead of derailing the train and destroying it so that everyone can be truly free, Charlie Bucket says, "Yeah, okay, I'll take over. Put me in the glass elevator, and we'll go." It's the like, it's what the kid version of it is, which is like there can't be that gray, um, you know. Well, if it's if it's not if it's better than what I currently have, then it must be good. Um, like that's the that's the Willy Wonka version. So I, I think, um, yeah, that's that. Watching Snowpiercer, I thought a lot about it. Then I read uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with my kids, and it was like, wow, this is basically Snowpiercer. Um, so yeah, that's my other, that's my other comp that I want to throw out there. Well, and they give out lottery tickets to, uh, to people yeah, right. who, who should then be grateful for what they've received. Right. Well, but, and most of the people who get it are like spoiled and entitled and upper class. And then Charlie is the one who doesn't, who isn't. Anyway, Mikey. Oh, that's interesting. That, that is, that is very interesting. That is very interesting. I'm going to have to revisit Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It oh, it's, it's a great movie time. too. And it's, yeah, the, the original one's absolutely great. You, sir, just uh, birthed a uh, paper I'll write about the poor, exploited do Oompa Loompas labor. Do it. <laughs> I will the, do it. The exploited labor we'll of the Oompa Loompas. Uh, can, you, can you make that into a post on Banish of the Pen, Mikey, as well, um, oh, I believe? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I, I believe we'll absolutely. be interested in, uh, we would all be interested in, in reading that. <laughs> um, I'll throw it over to you, Mikey. Do you have, well, one, do you have, do you have thoughts on, uh, on, on Tyler's uh, Willy Wonka comp? But also, um, you know, do you have movies that you would recommend to people who enjoyed Snowpiercer? Um, yeah, it, well, Tyler's Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka comp makes a lot of sense to me, and I haven't seen Willy Wonka in a while, so I can't like speak authoritatively. 
but that makes so much sense and that's so interesting and that's like just one of the things that you hear that you're angry that you didn't think of <laughs> uh, that was a pretty solid mic drop moment too uh, <laughs> yeah i was planning it for months <laughs> i gotta say <laughs> <laughs> okay but um I, I i have three also uh also two of which were this last year and one that's a bit of a uh old school but not as old school as Willy Wonka. Um, but the two from last year um, are uh, Under the Skin and um, The Babadook, which I'm not sure. Those are both, they, they both sort of had um, cult receptions also. Mm-hmm. And basically, they remind me of Snowpiercer because they're genre films with a lot of sort of narrative and thematic weight behind them. Um, Under the Skin is a sci fi movie, ostensibly. Uh, with Scarlett Johansson, who's an alien who comes to work to Earth to sort of harvest um, men, but it's so much more, and it's so artfully done, and it just and it turns into just like a very interesting sort of critique of um, rape culture that you know, like you didn't necessarily think you were going to get from just a alien movie starring Scarlett Johansson, um, and it's really wonderful, and it's very Kubricky in the best sense of the word. And if nobody, if you haven't seen it, I recommend seeing it. Um, and similarly, the Babadook is the horror movie from Australia. Um, that's just like, you know, you go see it, and it's, it's like, oh, cool, Paranormal Activity six or whatever. But there's a lot going on in it thematically about you know issues like depression and motherhood and all these things that have like real weight and consequence, just like Snowpiercer. And it's also very, very good, like Snowpiercer. Um, and now I want to just point out, Under the Skin yeah. is available to stream on Amazon Prime if you have it, and The Babadook will be on Netflix later this month. That That is Thanks. outstanding news about the availability of The Babadook. Yeah. That is outstanding news. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, <clears throat> and my sort of... Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you for your throwback. Oh, yeah, um... <laughs> It's Drive, which sort of fits that same sort of oh, yeah. arc. And all, yeah, because like I went to go see Drive in the theater, um, and I was just like expecting Fast and the Furious. You know, I guess it would have been like four back then or whatever. But um, but I was just like, oh yeah, Brian Cranston and Albert Brooks are in it. I'll see anything with Brian Cranston and Albert Brooks. But it's so good and so not what you just like expect from a movie about like an angry car guy and there are moments in it when you see it in a theater just like sort of shock you the same way that those moments in Snowpiercer shock you which I don't really have moments like that that just sort of like whoa when I'm in a theater except for those two movies and a couple others so that's that that's a big one for me you may be the one person who went to see Drive because of Albert Brooks (laughs) <laughs> doesn't everybody love Albert Brooks oh yeah sure but I'm pretty sure Ryan Gosling has a little bit more following it's all about Albert Brooks yeah oh, he's, great. he's great in it too yeah drive it that's a really good comp I think um, uh, the uh, drive does also does a lot with um, whether or not you should relate with the hero right and it is all very much just like, you know, clear narrative path, just, you know, heading up the, uh, you know, up the ladder. Yeah. 
All right, you guys. Are do you have any final thoughts on Snowpiercer, on movies, on anything? Just open it up to open it up to whatever you want here. I will. Um, my final thought would be: I think the first time that Ben and Sam talk about Snowpiercer, um, or maybe it's maybe Ben saw it first. I think I've, this is this is real inside baseball. I believe. Um, I believe he did. I believe. And he then did. Sam saw it. And they the, they started talking about it basically to say um, that it's better than Inception, which uh, I would agree with. I think that that's uh, I think that um, you know I like the Christopher Nolan approach. I think that uh, the Hollywood is gets a bad rap, but there there are risks being taken. There are interesting things being done, um, but movies like Snowpiercer, which is it's it's big in its own ways, but it's uh it's also kind of like, you know, it can basically be distributed via video on demand, not theatrically released in most cities in the country, um, very critically acclaimed, um, and and still kind of you know destined to be, you know, cult classic midnight movie talked about for uh you know in twenty years there will still be people watching Snowpiercer. Um, and I, I believe that to be true. I think, uh, I don't even necessarily think that it's the director's best movie. Um, Junho Bong also did, uh, he's done a couple things. I haven't seen most of them, but he did a monster movie called The Host, um, which is entirely in Korean, and it is phenomenal. Um, it's a blast. It's so much fun. It's got all the emotional heft that Snowpiercer has. Um, so it's another final comp. But like, you know, it's it's not it's not a great movie in the sense that it's going to be like, you know, on compared to, uh, things like boyhood or, you know, it's, it's not that it's not supposed to be that we're not talking about Snowpiercer because, you know, it's the best movie that came out in 2014. Um, you know, we're talking about it because it's a lot of fun. And after you see it, you want to talk about it. Even if you saw it months ago and it's, you know, out of, out of the conversation for a long time. It's one of those things, like, talking about Snowpiercer is going to be timeless. Yeah. Mikey, how about you? Final thoughts. Oh, um, well, my, my final thoughts would be sort of related to Tyler's in that um, it's important, I think, for uh, everybody to uh, pay attention to what movies... Um, uh, that don't necessarily get released to you know your big multiplexes, but also to your you know little whatever sort of you know smaller uh, uh, art cinema you know uh, movie theaters in your area, um, or that get relate released straight to like VOD or whatever. Because less and less, that's not an indication of quality. It's an indication of you know whether the financial powers that be decided it was sellable and oftentimes the most interesting movies are the ones that aren't necessarily perceived to be you know uh, in easy sells to people because that's why they're interesting and that's why interesting things are in them so pay attention to movies that don't you know uh, that don't show up in you know, AMC theaters necessarily or exclusively, and also um, pay attention to movies that come from uh, directors who are from not America, who aren't from America. So, are so Mikey, from- is it fair to say that you're you're basically saying Snowpiercer is like Juan Lagares? 
Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> snow snow piercers. Snow piercers comp is Juan Lagar. <laughs> let it be. Let it. Check be out known. the baseball reference page. Number yes. one. I bet. Yes. Check out number one on ba- uh, number one on <laughs> yeah, their list of right. comparables on baseball. On whatever uh, IMDb baseball reference. <laughs> IMD baseball <laughs> reference. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, you guys. Um. <laughs> Tyler, where where can people find you? On, uh, you on can, the internet, you can increasingly find me on Banish to the Pen, um, at, but uh, on Twitter at Tyler Tyler's Notes, um, and at the Facebook Effectively Wild group, um, commenting on things I have no business commenting on. <laughs> and and Mikey and Mikey, where can where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at Banish to the Pen, also, and also on Twitter at F-U-Q the heck, at F-U-Q the heck. I really got to change that. That's no good. I'm good for spelling myself. <laughs> Mikey, please never change your Twitter handle. I, I enjoy, you can't now. Everyone's going to follow you there. Because <laughs> after everybody listens to this podcast, they're all going to go and follow you, and then you won't be able to change it. So... That's true. Yeah. So now it, it's going to be out in the internets, and uh, you know you you can't do anything about it. Sorry, too late. You have to keep it. Um, I'm Brandon Lee. You can find me at Banish to the Pen and in the face respective Facebook groups for Banish to the Pen and Effectively Wild um, on Twitter at Blee Internets B L E E Internets. And uh, that's all for this edition of the Banish to the Pen Off Topic Podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Was it obvious that I was getting like progressively drunker as the? Uh, oh no! Damn it! I was going to ask what everybody was drinking. Did are you guys? Drinking oh, I'm not drinking tonight? anything. I'm glad you didn't. I went to the Phillies game last night and drank too much there, so I'm I'm taking an off day. I see. I see. My, Mikey, what are you drinking this evening? I had some white wine lying around, and like I hate white wine, but white wine. Was it uh, was it from a bottle or a box? It was from a bottle, but it was a bottle with a screw-off tap cap. That is uh, no. You know. Just as video distribution means nothing, <laughs> screw-off taps are no indication <laughs> of quality anymore. Oh no! I'm still recording.